week, and it's just heavy on our hearts here at Avalon Church, but what it also made me realize is just how blessed we really are, and uh, how faithful God has been to us at Avalon Church, but also just here in Orlando, and, and, and through the state of Florida, we're praying for Miami, still praying for Texas, man, there's so much hurt, so much burden, um, but you know, we have a faithful God who can comfort those in need, and so that's, that's what we're praying for here at Avalon Church. I just got back from Israel, and uh, I'm so excited. Yeah, there's some pictures of our group that went to Israel. Uh, Ira Gar went with us, Tom Angel, Anita Angel, and Nubia. We all went to the promised land together. We were a rowdy group. Uh, that's, that's actually, that's the temple on Mount Moriah. It was so amazing. It was such, um, it was a trip like none other, really. I, I believe that all of my heart. And I, and I believe that, that Israel really did something special in my heart. It allowed me to see um, the promises of God. It, it reminded me that God is faithful, that the Bible is real. Real people, real locations, real geography, it's, it, is, it is real. We walked where Jesus walked. We walked where Abraham walked. It's real. It's real. The Bible is alive. It's living. It's history. It's all of this in one book that God says, God breathe. My breath. My inspiration. I was just so moved in, in Israel. That's actually the Wailing Wall. What an incredible sight to see. See, the thing is about our group is that Ira and I were the most rowdy um, guys in the group. And I know you don't believe that. But uh, we were. That's Actually, you can stop there. That's actually the Psalms of Ascent. If you were here last week when Ira mentioned the Psalms of Ascent, how they would pray at each step, the 15 Psalms. Um, you can see that in your Bible. That's the Psalms of Ascent. Jesus would have walked those steps up to the temple, and the temple is right behind that wall. So just so incredible to be there and to read the scripture and it just come to life. But yeah, I got some pictures of Ira and I learning. We were learning. We were like, we were just, you know, we were, you know, soaking in the scripture. There he is. Like, hold on, keep it there. That's my man right there. He's, that's my best buddy right there. Uh, <laughs> I had to put that up there to embarrass him because, you know, we're always picking on one another. But Ira and I had a wonderful time learning together. It is a blessing that we could even do that together. Um, his dad went with him. What a, I was so blessed to see him and his dad bonding together over the scriptures and talking about the scriptures. It, it was, it's, it's amazing. But, when I, yeah, there he goes. Just in case you forgot what that last picture looked like. Thanks, Jonathan. So when I got back, uh, Hurricane Irma came through, and so uh, it was actually a blessing in disguise because I, I got, I was able to, I, actually I, I got on the plane Friday, there was only like 10 people on the plane with me, and they were all stewardess, so we were like, had great service, okay? Uh, but we got back, and it was like 3.30, and, and I was so jet lagged, so the storm really allowed me to sleep. Praise the Lord. Um, so that was really neat. But also, really, it was a blessing for me and my family because I got to be with them, love on them. We read the scripture together, um, able to teach the kids about, you know, fear. And it was, just, it was just such a good, good time to go. I don't know if my wife was happy with me that I slept through the whole storm because um, she was a little frightened. So I, I'm sorry if I slept. She was like, yeah, you had a good night's sleep. But uh, I stayed up till 5. So... So that happened. But so thank you, babe, for allowing me to sleep. But I am recovered and I am excited to be here with you this morning. If you're new to Avalon Church, my name is Pastor Arthur, and I'm so glad that you came here. You could be doing anything, and you decided to come here and hear about the Word of God and hear to praise God. Even if you don't know what any of those two things mean, we'll know a little bit about what that means by the end of our time. But if you're new and you haven't visited the Connect table, please, please do that. We want to come alongside you, pray with you, and, and really walk this journey 
of faith with you. Because we believe here at Avalon that we are better. Can we call? Avalon, y'all were supposed to help me out on that one. That we are better. That's right. We are better together. We believe that. Um, if you missed last week, we started a new um, study, really not a series, a study out of the book of Nehemiah. We're going to read through the book of Nehemiah. And Pastor Jim did an awesome job last week uh, opening up the study. He provided a phenomenal uh, chronological overview of the book of Nehemiah. And so if you missed last week, I'll try to catch you up somewhat. I'm not going to word for word what he said, but I'll mention some of the things uh, in the general theme of, of the book. But Nehemiah Nehemiah was written by Ezra uh, sometime during or after Nehemiah's second term, so it's around 400 B.C. Um, this book, unlike the book of Ezra, that was focused on rebuilding the temple in which they did, praise God, the focus of Nehemiah is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But the lack of fortified walls around the city left the people of Israel defenseless against their enemies. That's why they needed to rebuild the wall. But according to the report, report of Nehemiah that he received, he said that the remnant in Jerusalem was shamed, that a city with broken walls revealed a defeated people. So the Jews who had returned to their homeland were both in unsafe conditions and humiliated at living in a destroyed city. So through God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel, he raised up Nehemiah to remind God's people and his enemies that God is with them. So Nehemiah started chapter 1 with a humble and earnest plea for God to give success to the people, to his people, to the people of God, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So here we are with that. In that time, Ezra wrote the book. We are here. So we, 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 their walls were torn down. It was all in rubble. And so now they're here. And Nehemiah says, we got to rebuild this wall. And we find ourselves in chapter 2. And in this chapter, we're going to see that God cares. This is so important, that God cares so much that we are spiritual people but also that we are pragmatic people or practical people. So often we see these two Christian circles at odds with one another. But Nehemiah shows us in chapter 2 that a Christian can be both a spiritual person and also a pragmatic person. And it is clear through the book of Nehemiah that both are needed. So today we're going to see three elements that will serve as an outline to the text. Uh, we're going to read all through chapter 2 uh, of Nehemiah. And here is the outline that we're going to see. One is that obedience. We'll see obedience in this text. And we'll explain what that means. Two, opposition. And three, we're going to see opportunity. And we're going to explain exactly what that means. So if you have your uh, Bible, please, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. By the way, it's still a thing to bring your Bible to church. So if you, oh, look, that's a perfect, that's a perfect background uh, for that. But, yeah, bringing your Bible is still a thing at church. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version this morning. Or if you want to, we have a, a bulletin that you probably picked up on the way in. We also have a virtual bulletin. It's uh, our Version app. And you can turn to the Version Bible app. And under more and events, you'll see all of the notes and all of the scripture and all of that good stuff that you can follow along with us during our study. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and stand up. 
And you can just black out that background, Jonathan. We'll just have a black background when we read the scripture. We're going to stand up together and we're going to read um, Nehemiah chapter 2. Yes, the whole thing. Here's the deal. Here's why we stand up. And I'm going to tell you this because this is so important. We stand up because back in the day, okay, when the kings were sending heralds to proclaim the message of the kingdom, the, all the people would stand up to hear what the king would say and the heralds would, they would read whatever the message was. And so this is kind of what we're doing, right? We're here to listen to the king, right? And I have a message from the king to you from his word. So we're standing together. We are looking up to God's word. And God's word is going to be what governs us this morning. It is our final authority. So let's read it. I'll I'll go ahead and read it for you. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let a, a letter to ask of the keeper of the king's forest, that, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with, with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I, rose in the, I arose in the night and I had a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate into the dragon spring, into the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley gate and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I did not yet Told, I, I, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite served and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? 
Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. That's the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, would you just teach us, God? It says in your scripture in John 8 that the truth will set us free. So God, would you let your truth, your words, set us free this morning is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you, guys. So as we read the opening eight verses of Nehemiah chapter 2, we immediately begin to see the spiritual and pragmatic working together in this important word, in obedience. Obedience is our first point because we see the spiritual Nehemiah and the pragmatic Nehemiah working together in obedience. You see, there are two kind of extreme Christians in every denomination. There's the ultra-spiritual and the ultra-pragmatic. What does that mean? The ultra-spiritual will pray about something their whole life and never act on that prayer. They're always saying, I'm praying about it. You're like, when are you going to act on it? No, I'm just still praying 10 years later. And then you have the ultra-pragmatic. They figure out a problem logically without any prayer. And then they find themselves without the favor and the direction of the Lord. And so that is a really scary place to be without the direction and hand and favor of God. So the question is today is can we be both spiritual and pragmatic? And my answer to you is based on chapter 2, yes. We can be a spiritual people and a pragmatic people. And God wants us to be a people who rely on him through the power of prayer. He does. But then God commissions us to do diligence and out of obedience through faith carry out his plan. Let me say that again. Then after prayer, God, I've been praying, and you've, been, and you've seen the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1. After that prayer, God commissions us to do diligence and out of obedience to God's plan, through faith in what he has for us, we carry it out. So we see the spiritual and pragmatic working together as we read the first few verses of Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, in the month of Nisan, which by the way, between the first chapter and the second chapter was about a four-month four month difference. It was the month of Chislev and then the month of Nisan. Is about, they're about four months apart. So this was four months after that prayer, that earnest plea. So you know Nehemiah has been in prayer, right? He's been praying. He's been pragmatic. We'll see. He's been practical. He's been working out what God has put on his heart to do for the people of Israel in the rebuilding of the walls. So in the month of Nisan, which is four months after that prayer from Chislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, he said, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. And, and uh, Pastor Jim did a great job in explaining the cupbearer position. It was a very courageous position, a bold position, um, but probably a really scary one, right? Because you have to taste the wine of the king, and that could mean death for you if somebody poisoned it. So he, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, he said he took up the wine and he gave it to the king. And, he, and then this verse says this, Now I had not been sad in his presence. And so the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? And he said this, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then he said, I was very much afraid, I said to the king. Okay, in this scene that we see opening in Nehemiah, you see the role of a cupbearer. He was a, a cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes, but something is different now. Something is different in Nehemiah. Nehemiah reveals his sadness to the king for the very first time. 
Although he had been mourning for the past four months, only now does Nehemiah let his feelings show up on his face. Why? Though we cannot know for sure, I suspect that the opening expression of sadness was a pragmatic position and a prayerful position. He's obviously burdened for Israel. He's obviously burdened. God had put that on his heart to rebuild the walls. But it was very pragmatic that he would be sad. Why? Because you couldn't speak out of line to the king. You can get killed by, if you spoke out of line. So how can I get the king to ask me what's wrong? He's got to be sad in his face. He's very pragmatic. He prayed about that. He knew what he had to do. So he, had, he let sadness come upon his heart. And of course he had that burden on his heart. But Nehemiah was able to influence King Artaxerxes to ask the question that he wanted to ask. What's wrong, Nehemiah? Right? And that gained himself an entry point to make a special request to the king. But without a doubt, this request to the king entailed a lot of risk. Right? He's a cupbearer, and that's why he said, uh, after I told him that it was sadness of the heart, what did he say? I was very much afraid. <laughs> he was scared. It entailed risk. And that's understandable because it's, it was an unusual favor that Nehemiah was about to ask the king. So if you were him, if I was him, I would be nervous too. And then the request I was about to ask him about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. You see, I, had, um, this, I have a practical example of this. I had a, a student... Uh, a few years ago that wanted to go on a mission trip. It was actually a college student that wanted to go on a mission trip. And she was so scared of asking her boss for time off. Right? She was like, oh, he's going to fire me. She's like, if I make this request, I'm going to get fired. And I was telling her, hey, that might happen. <laughs> you got to understand that. But if God has put this on your heart and you've prayed about it, right, this is not a willy-nilly decision then you have to ask, you need to make that request. So very much like my friend who wanted to go on a mission trip, she needed to act in obedience to what God has put on her heart and ask her boss for some time off. The only difference between Nehemiah and my friend is one would have died and the other one would have got fired, okay? So there is a bigger difference between the two, and I see it. So, um, but here's what we learned from that. Here's what we learned. This is kind of the takeaway of this first opening lines of Nehemiah 2. And I want you to write this down, and here's what it says. Once we've been in prayer, we must be ready for God to move and respond in obedience. Say that again. Once we have been in prayer, we must be ready for God to move and respond in obedience. And so often we pray as though God is not going to move. He hears the prayers of the righteous. We see it time and time again in the scripture. So why are we so surprised when he moves? Once we've prayed, spiritual, God, I know this is what you want, God. You repent for, for the people that are, are in the church. And you say, God, you put this on my heart. And Lord, I know what you want me to do. We must be ready now. For God to move. And then when God moves, Avalon Church, we must respond in obedience. So Nehemiah is ready for this moment. He made his request and, and, and his face was sad. And the king asked him, why are you sad? He said, it's sadness of the heart. He was very much afraid. There's always risk. There's always risk when we're moving in faith. And so he asked him, why are you sad? It's the sadness of the heart. He was afraid. But that did not stop Nehemiah from making his re request. 
in obedience because God was moving. So we see on the next few lines, he says, let the king live forever. Or maybe you've heard it like this, long live the king, right? It's a, it's a term of acknowledging who the king was. Long live the king. It's a term of respect and honor to the king. He says, why should not my face be sad when the city of when the city, the place of my fathers, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. You see, with much at stake, Nehemiah wisely and pragmatically explains his sadness in a most clever way. Here's what I mean. You'll notice here in the passage that, uh, that Nehemiah didn't mention Jerusalem. He didn't mention Judah at this point or anything to do with the religion of Israel. Why? He formed the problem in terms a Persian king would understand. Much like Paul, he knew his audience. So when he was preaching the gospel, he knew how to speak to those people. And so in the same way, he formed the opening request with, why should not my face be sad? The place of my father's the graves, they lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed. You see, Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, could certainly relate to the grieving over the desecration of ancestral burial grounds. He could get that concept. Like, we don't want to defile that. Okay, go ahead and keep talking. So he was very pragmatic. Nehemiah have been, has been in deep prayer, but he was also playing out how he would respond to the king. And out of obedience and being practical and working out in obedience, he, he framed this opening uh, request with that awesome request. And surely enough, right after he said that, the king quickly responds, what are you requesting? Sure enough, the quick response of the Persian king shows the success of Nehemiah's careful rhetoric and pragmatic methods. We see that. But now we see, finally, the perfect harmony of Christian spirituality and Christian pragmatism. What does he do right after he makes the opening request? What does he say? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's how he starts. You see, Nehemiah's been in prayer for months. Why would he say that again? Because we can do nothing without the power of God. We can do nothing. If we're in fear, we need to say, God, remove this fear from my heart in this moment. Everything we'll ever do in, in, in our Christian walk will be a tough request or a tough thing to do. Because we're living by faith and not by sight. And so we need God to go before us. And so Nehemiah knew this. And Nehemiah said, God, I pray to the God of heaven. He probably prayed something like, God, go before me. God, just do a work in his heart. To receive this. But what Nehemiah is showing us here is that the spiritual is always first. We must be spiritual people first. Sometimes we like to get it backwards. And we like to be practical first rather than spiritual. But the reality this morning is we can do nothing without the power of God and the hand of his blessing and direction in our life and in the life of our church without Jesus. We must be a praying people, praying, believing people in what God has for us. But then quickly after, we must understand that we need to respond in obedience and make the request. And sure enough, he does that. Rightfully so, Nehemiah was nervous, but he didn't let his nervousness overcome his request. You see, he was shielded with prayer. He already sought God. He only had one option, and that option was to respond in confidence in his God through obedience, in faith, and make his request. He was there. So we see that it's the perfect harmony of, of being a spiritual Christian and a pragmatic Christian. 
And here's a little formula for you to remember. And maybe this will help you. We need to pray first. You can put up that. You need to pray first. Then we need to believe in what God is doing in our life and where he's leading us. And it's in accordance to his word. And then out of obedience, we act out what God has put on our hearts. And, the, and here's the result of praying, believing, and acting out in obedience. You ready? Supernatural faith in your life and in the life of this church. And then supernatural results. The only way we'll be able to respond when God does something is glory to God. That was not us. I don't know what just happened here. The Persian king somehow gave us this request. That is crazy. So this is exactly what Nehemiah did. He prayed. He prayed. Four months he prayed. He believed in where God was leading him. Then he acted out in obedience. Although it was, he probably was a sort of a nervous wreck for a second because he could have died after the request. But he did it anyways out of obedience through faith and believing and praying. And here's what he asked the king. Here's the request. And starting at verse 5. He says, And Nehemiah said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with a queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? Again, pragmatically, he already worked out the time. So it pleased the king, so, uh, so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keepers of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. He was very thorough, very pragmatic. When they asked him how long it's going to take, I got the time. I'm going to tell you. I've been praying about it. But I've been in obedience, doing my diligence. I've been, I've been honoring God with the time that he's given me, with the work that he's given me. And he was ready to respond in obedience. But you see, Nehemiah's supernatural faith of making that request out of obedience led to supernatural results. We see that. And the king granted me what I asked. And here's his response. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Right? Glory to God. There is no chance that a Persian king would allow me to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But somehow, church, it happened. Pray, believe, obedience, supernatural, uh, supernatural results. And Nehemiah, as you see throughout Nehemiah chapter 2 and through the whole uh, book of Nehemiah, he just starts to get more and more bold in his leadership because God is just building him up in faith. And the supernatural results we see, they actually, we know the end of the story, they, re they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But now we see in the next eight verses that when we're carrying out God's plan, when we're living by faith and not by sight, when we are being spiritual people and pragmatic people, the first thing you'll notice is opposition. And I think in the Christian walk, when you come to know Jesus, and that you're like, everything's better now. Praise God, Jesus. Right? But right away, you notice there's opposition. When you start living in faith, start to see opposition. You have to get this. When we're living in the supernatural church, when we're living in the supernatural, we must always expect opposition. I don't want you to be a naive people, people of God, children of God, those who claim Jesus as the Messiah. If you're living by faith, if you're living in the supernatural, don't be surprised when opposition comes. <laughs> 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. Like, guys, seriously, when the tests come, when the oppositions come, don't, don't be surprised by that. But here's what he says. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Wow, what an incredible truth. Bring on the opposition is what you should say, because I'm living by faith and not by sight. So Nehemiah 2, 9 through 16 goes on and says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. He starts on his mission to Jerusalem. And he gave him the king's letters. They needed these letters to get through the different provinces. And they get through beyond the river, and he gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. Well, we don't know whether or not he accepted them or he requested them. But nonetheless, King Artaxerxes says, I'm going to send some guys with you, okay? So, but when Sanballat, these were the guys, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, they heard this, here it is, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Displeased them. They were mad that somebody wanted to rebuild these walls. Just, just let them be. Let them, let, 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 let them stay in rubble. They don't even care about it. Why, are you, why, are, why is somebody coming after to do this, to rebuild these walls? But I'm here to tell you something. This is a question that every Christian in the room has to ask themselves. Right here, before we go any further. Here's the question you need to ask yourself this morning. Do you exist to please God or do you exist to please man? Because we're about to find out what Nehemiah, who Nehemiah served. But do you exist to please the living God? Or do you exist to please man? The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the church of Galatia. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. He says, if for, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He could have let that hinder him. He could have let the opposition get to him. But he didn't. Because he, he knew who his God was and he was honoring the king. He wanted to please the king. No matter how hard it seemed, he saw that the good hand of his God was upon him. And he decided on that day who he was going to serve. And you know who it was? It was his God. So who are we going to serve this morning? Shortly after Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he set out on a secret mission to survey the broken wall. And I actually have a map there. It's kind of hard to see. He started kind of up there by the valley gate. You see the valley gate there? And he walked around this. I'll actually, I'll read um, the pieces of scripture that he, uh, I'll show you the walls that he went around. He says, I went out by night by the valley gate. Y'all see the valley gate? I went to the valley gate to the dragon spring. That's not up there. And to the dung gate. And he said, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem. I actually have a picture of the, the actual walls from Jerusalem. That's, that's the still standing walls of Jerusalem. And then he says, that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And it says, then I went on to the fountain gate, the fountain gate and to the king's pool. I actually have a picture of the king's pool. I took that there. That's the pool of Siloam. That's what it's known as now. But that was the king's pool. That was all the way, you can go back to the first map. That's all the way at the bottom, the king's pool. You see that there. It was a very significant pool of water, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley gate and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate 
and so I returned. So we see kind of his journey to just check out the walls to see what was wrong, right? He's very pragmatic. He wanted to make sure he knew what the damage was. So he went, you kind of see the valley gate down to the, uh, to the king's pool. We see the fountain gate. So he surveyed the whole wall around the city of David. But you, you see on verse 12, we see something interesting here. I wanted to use this first so you can kind of see what he surveyed. But here's what he said in verse 11 and 12. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. That's after walking through the different provinces and, and Sanballat, Horonite, and Tobiah, they were with him. And then he said, I arose in the night and, uh, so I, sorry, and then I arose in the night and I and a few men were with me. That's a very significant sentence there. We see, we see there, and sometimes we read over the scripture and we miss a few things, but he said, I had to go carry out this mission. I had to go survey the walls because I didn't want to give a, a, a message to the, to the Israelites without first knowing what I was talking about. And so he needed to go survey the wall. But here's the thing. He needed a few men. Presumably those who he could trust to keep quiet. And, by the way, he did not tell these man, men what he was doing. He didn't reveal his plan that he was going to rebuild the walls. He hadn't done that yet. And this is an important point that he took these few men with him. Why? Because when we're living by faith, we're always living under attack. We've acknowledged that. And so we truly need each other. We see here that he needed a few men. And we see the book of Ecclesiastes being played out in chapter 4 that two are truly better than one. We need people that we can trust and turn to for godly wisdom to give us the word, to build us up when the, when the devil's attacking us or when we're in sin. Someone to say, why are you living this way? You see, he needed a few men that he can trust to go survey the walls. That's why around here we say we're truly better together. We need one another. Because we're always, if we're living by faith, we're living under attack. That's why life groups are so vital to our church. And I love our life group. I'm able to talk with them. And when, I, when I'm going through something, whether it's a valley or it's a mountaintop, I'm able to talk with them and they're able to encourage me. When I feel like my back's against the wall, I have a few men that I go to. I, I, Ira is one of these guys. Pastor Dustin Janney for me is one of these guys. Greg Proctor is one of these guys. I go to them when I feel like my back's up against the wall or when I'm rejoicing in what God is doing. I need these few men that I can trust. And you see, they obviously trusted Nehemiah too because they went with him, right? He didn't tell them the plan, but yet they still went with Nehemiah to go survey what the wall, the damage to the walls. And so I'm going to tell you this here, and this is a reminder for you about opposition. The veracity is that the majority of people around you, y'all, this is hard. The veracity is that the majority of people around you will more than likely not be for you. But that's only because they haven't seen God go before you. Here's what that means. When you're living by faith, it's countercultural to the world. It's even countercultural to the church. Because if we're living by every word of God and by bread alone, the majority of people, unfortunately, this morning are not living that way. And they're not going to see uh, God go before you. They're not going to see your faith. They're not going to understand what it means to live by faith. And so you have to understand that the majority of people around you are not going to be for you because they're living by sight. And I'm not here to justify the people that have their own agenda or their own plan. Not those people. I'm talking about the people who are living by every word of God, who are living by faith, who are making hard decisions for his kingdom, who are living for his glory. That, like, those are the people that you look at and go, why are they living that way? 
I'm here to tell you that if you're living by faith, you'll always face opposition. And more than likely, the majority of people around you are not living by faith. So more than likely, they're not going to be for what you're doing. But that's only because they haven't seen God go before you. They haven't seen your prayer life. They haven't seen you walk by faith and not by sight. And that's why I said earlier, who are you going to please today? God or man? Who is it going to be? That's why we started there. We have to live to please and honor God no matter how hard the request is, no matter how hard the task is. It's got to be between us and Jesus. Not everybody else. Because you'll find yourself at a place where you're constantly trying to honor people and trying to please people and you're going to find yourself exhausted. Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah set out on the mission that God had for him. And it was a hard task. He even had to go out in the middle of the night to survey the walls. And he needed a few men that he could trust. But when we're living by faith and not by sight, more than likely the majority of people won't be for you. But that's only because they haven't seen God go before you. They're not living by faith. God operates in the supernatural. Then we finally find Nehemiah because of his spiritual and pragmatic obedience that led him to supernatural faith to overcome opposition. He receives a twofold opportunity. And we see this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. But here's how the twofold opportunity comes one was to lead others in the purpose that God has set out for him, to lead the people of God. And then the second opportunity that God gave him was to make God known, both to his enemies and also to the people of God. Here it is in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. He says, then I said to him, then I said to them, and here's what, here let me give you the setting of this. Nehemiah, after surveying, surveying the wall, he sees what they need to repair. He has the king's approval. He's, he's there in Jerusalem. He knows God's hand is on them. And so he gathers the people of God, right? This is kind of like the locker room talk before we go out to the game, right? I know a lot of you football fans. So they're in there. I'm a soccer guy. So that's why it's hard to relate. But here we go. So, and I'm like, I didn't watch any games last night. But anyway, so. But you come in, this is the locker room. He, he's serving, he's pragmatic, he's gone through what they need to do. He is prayed up, God's hand is on them. And here's what he says, he gathers them together and he says, guys, ready? This is me to all. You see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Avalon. You see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn? Come, let's build for the future of Avalon together. And I told them, I love this, Nehemiah tells them, the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Here's what he tells the guys. Guys, God's hand is on this. And... I tell you that because King Artaxerxes gave us letters to proceed. And that's a miracle. So they're like, yes, I, I, I can just see them. Yes, yes, let, tell me more. Here's how they respond. He tells them all of this. He says, God's hand is on us. Don't you see the trouble we're in? Look at these walls there. They, we're, we're helpless babes here. We're ashamed, we're ashamed and defeated people. Come, let us build the walls, guys. The hand of God is on us. 
We got the letter of approval from the king. You know what their response is? Because when God is handed on it, this is what happens. Let us rise up and build, is what they said. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands, they said. So they, you heard the they part? All of them. They strengthened their hands together for the good work. Wow. The hand of my God is upon me. We have the king's letters. Let's go in obedience. Let's respond to God moving. You can just sense the excitement. You can hear the words of Nehemiah. You can hear the preaching, the teaching, the reaching of Nehemiah, getting them to understand that God is with them. And so they responded. Let's rise up and build. They got together. They strengthened their hands for every good work that God had set out for them. But not with opposition. We constantly see opposition through the book of Nehemiah. This won't be the first time we'll see this throughout the series. But Nehemiah 2.19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, the Debbie Downers, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, here's what they did. They jeered at us and despised us. Can't believe it. What is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They didn't, they didn't even know what was going on. They just, I'm going to use a Pastor William term here. Haters going to hate. That one's for you. My favorite line of Pastor William is check up from the neck up. But they jeered at him. They jeered at him. Automatic opposition because they're doing what God has set out for them. You see, you see it again. They jeered at them. And then they had the, they had the, they had the, strength enough to say, you know, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? But this allowed Nehemiah now for the second opportunity to do what? To glorify, the, to glorify God. To point to God and say, you know what, guys? I'm about to honor God right now. I know you're the enemies of God, but I'm going to let you know something right now. I'm going to let you know. So I'm gonna, right now, I need you all to listen. I know you guys are not for me. I know you're jeering at me. I know you despise me. But here's my response to that. Here's the second opportunity to glorify God, to make God known to the enemies and to the people of God. And then I reply to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we are his servants. And we will arise and build. And you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Drop the mic. What now? What do you got to say? He made God known at that moment. He made them realize they're weak and God is strong. He made them realize something that Paul said years later in Romans 8 through 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? You can't stop what God has for us. Charles Spurgeon said, nothing can hinder the progress. He goes, our powerlessness can't hinder the progress of God's kingdom. God is God. But as people of God, we need to live in obedience to his word. And we must expect opposition. And then use the opportunities that God gives us to grow in faith. And we need to act on those. We need to arise. We need to build. And then when the enemies come, when the opposition comes, you tell them this. The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we are his servants. This is not, we can do nothing with God. We're, we serve the king. 
So we're going to rise and build. And he tells Sanballat and he tells Tobiah, you don't even have a letter from the king trying to stop us. You don't even have the hand of God to try to stop us. You have nothing. The hand of our God is with us. And the hand of our God provided a letter for us to accomplish, to rebuild these walls. So this morning, Avalon Church, will you arise and build for the future of Avalon Church and for what God is doing in Aguas Calientes, Mexico, to bring the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel? It's a big task. But if God is for us, who can be against us? We must first and always acknowledge this, that God is God and we are his servants. But we need to obey God. Be ready for opposition. And when the time comes, Avalon, when the time comes in your court, every one of you has, every single person in this room has an obligation to respond to God in obedience. And when the time comes for you to move, for you to strengthen the hands, for you to take action that of the thing you've been praying for, you've been praying for, God is going to move. So if you're praying, God's going to move. We must act in obedience and respond to the opportunities that God gives us and say, I'm going to strengthen my hands for this work. And I'm going to bring honor and glory and praise with how I do this. And if it can't bring in praise and honor and glory, you need to reevaluate where you are with the Lord. Because anything we do here at this church, we must honor God above everything. Because if our hand of our God is not on us, we can't do anything. Let us pray.